Welcome to New Hampshire Headlines, the weekly show on WKXL in the morning where we talk with reporters here in the state. Usually New Hampshire Bulletin fills up a good part of the schedule, which I'm partial to, and uh, as well as Jeff Feingold over the New Hampshire Business Reviews in the rotation. We'll probably over time add a few other reporters to uh, kind of cover the broad range of stories that are in the state. But this week, we've got senior reporter Anne-Marie Timmons of the New Hampshire Bulletin, NewHampshireBulletin.com to get more from them. Welcome back to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You have a lot of good reporters in this state to pick from, so. Yes, definitely. I got to see if I can uh, guilt uh, Damian uh, Fisher to come on or something. That's see, a good choice. Yeah, so he's been on the New England Take a couple times and uh, mm-hmm. a little different perspective on some stuff. So mm-hmm. speaking about you specifically, I mean, it, it's been crazy post-election uh, for starters, and uh, you haven't written about it per se at this point, but... The state house is going to be close. I mean, as someone who covers government primarily, what does that mean for you? Well, we thought we might know by now, like to start planning, you know, what's going to happen. And it's just going to be chaos. I feel like kind of, you know, we're lucky we have three people on the state house exclusively. No other outlet in the state does that just because resources are tight, which is why our model is to provide them all our content for free. And I don't even feel like that is enough people right now. Um, Hopefully we'll sign on an intern pretty soon. Um, So it's just, do we need to be at every single um, hearing, every single vote day? Because if there's a 2.2 person difference and you have several Republicans, well, at least a few who sometimes vote with Democrats, you've got to be able to read the room and see who's there and who's absent. And a lot of lawmakers last session had 100% attendance, but some had very bad attendance. And so that's gonna determine everything. Um, That also determines when things get tabled or moved to later in the day. And so I think it's just gonna be a lot of, let's make some plans and then let's blow up those plans because that wasn't how it went. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting. I don't think it'll be tied. I, I'm still trying to catch up with my colleagues um, in the office. I don't think it's tied. So that will solve some problems, because if it was tied, I know the Democrats are reaching out to um, sort of the National Legislative Council. To, you know, How do you do that? Do you switch back and forth, speaker to speaker? Um, I don't think we'll be there. But what is it going to be like You know, on committees? Um, so I think it'll be hard, fun, and interesting. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I, Keith Amowen just just today within like eight votes or something crazy uh, mm-hmm. pulled, pulled ahead. So the Republicans got another seat in there. And yeah. I mean, how much do you, do you think personalities are going to play into this upcoming cycle, especially with it being so tight, uh, especially the Republicans are well known for their, their breadth of personalities and mm-hmm. uh, pet ideologies that they try and lobby for? I, I was just looking at party unity scores today, and that's, you know, how often does someone vote with their party? Um, Dan Wolf, he's from Newberry region. He has a pretty, not low, but a lower than a lot of people unity score, which means he has voted with Democrats on parental rights, rejecting that, on abortion, expanding um, exemptions against right to work. And so when you think about 
that he's going to be, I would think, a pretty valuable lawmaker for Democrats to pull over. Um, on the other hand, and then you have the you know majority leader Jason Osborne saying right after the election, you're going to see a new me. I am going to seek bipartisan support on our legislation. I mean, that would be a new Jason Osborne, a very new Jason Osborne. So, I mean, it is true they'll have to to get anywhere. Um, I think the budget will be interesting. Last year, we saw all kinds of very controversial um, bills tucked into the budget. Um, you know, just all the big ones you have heard about and come to mind were in the budget, which protects them in a way that they won't um, when they're standalone. Will the Republicans, if they desire to do that, will they have the votes to do that? Will the Democrats have some the votes to maybe tuck in um a language that enshrines the right to an abortion, you know, up to 24 weeks without further restrictions going forward. So the the power, the balance of power is going to be everything. Um, and I, I just don't think we can predict it either. Either a lot of bipartisan legislation will get through or nothing will happen. Extremes, so. extremes only. Well, welcome to New Hampshire. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's switch over to uh, an article you released uh, uh, yesterday, actually, as we're recording this on Thursday. Uh, Family Glitch Fix makes thousands of granicators newly qualified for cheaper insurance. What What's going on with that? So we have open enrollment uh, again in November. It goes through um, mid-January. And this is to get on the marketplace to get some subsidized, um, you know, Affordable Care Act insurance. And it all depends on how much you make. The new thing this year is it fixes the so-called family glitch, which was under the prior set of rules. If your spouse had insurance in an individual plan that fell outside of the um, the threshold and they didn't qualify, even if that plan, once you added family members, got more expensive and was expensive enough to qualify, it wasn't it wasn't, um, it still didn't because the individual plan was all that was looked at. So now what will happen is they'll look at that individual plan, but if a person wants to add family and say it goes up $200 and that puts it over, tips it over into, you know, eligibility for marketplace, family members will be able to go to the marketplace instead. Um, the prime earner may stay with their plan because they wouldn't qualify, but family members now can go over and get that assistance. So um, my story has a, a handy calculator link in there. So you can really punch in your different, you know, your age, your earning, you know, single household um, and what have you. And you can kind of see what your costs would be. Um, it was really interesting to play around with that. So that's that's a big, big fix this year. I think that is estimated to affect maybe five million or more. You know, the estimates really vary. Um, people, just because we're a small state, we won't see perhaps a huge number um, according to the insurance department. We'll we'll see some. I think the concern is that is that word getting out. You know do people know? And so the the advice really is to go to one of the state's two navigators, they're called, and they're free government supported service that will walk you through all the steps of enrolling or changing your plan. And so those can be found on the insurance department's um, website. And we do have two different ones are all over the state. 
Um, they can work with you in different languages. So that would be a, a place to go because it, it is confusing and it's new this year. So will people get missed just because they don't know about it? Yeah, and, and the impact of something like that could be huge with regards to what whether families get married and such. It's mm -hmm. I, speaking from personal experience with family members, like it didn't make sense necessarily for, for them to get married because of benefits and uh, food stamps and everything like that. So we want to, generally speaking, as a, as a country, we want to encourage families to get married because it helps with family cohesion in the long term. That, I mean, that is the country's... Um thinking on that. I think that's right. And and I, th I think you are right. If it's more expensive, if you can't afford health insurance by taking that step, how, what, what do you value the, the, um, the idea of family cohesion or do you value your health insurance right now? Um, so I do, I, that, that is an interesting um, kind of wrinkle I hadn't thought about, but you're right. You're absolutely right. What about the ending of the public health emergency? Has that played into any of this at this point, or are we still waiting to see? I feel like we're still waiting to see. I was trying to get to the bottom of that a bit. Um, I think one thing we know is during the public health emergency, which continues, you know, in terms of a designation that affects benefits, people could not be you know, so-called kicked off Medicaid, for example, um, if they were enrolled on it. So people lost their jobs or couldn't go to their jobs for childcare reasons, they became eligible for Medicaid because their income went down during the pandemic. They may be back to work now and earning money, but the state isn't allowed to redetermine anyone's benefits, um, meaning that you, you can still be eligible um, for that. But maybe under your if you were no longer on Medicaid, perhaps under your own health care plan, maybe you are eligible for a different kind of health care benefit. Um, you're going to be kicked off Medicaid eventually when this public health emergency ends. And DHHS has launched a massive effort to try to reach those people before that time comes. So what you don't want to happen is for your Medicaid to be ended after open enrollment is over and you're kind of stuck with no health care. So people who are on Medicaid who went back to work or their finances changed in some way should really figure this out now, should get take advantage of the open enrollment because it will become much harder if in I think it's two or three months this public health emergency ends and open enrollment is closed and that it's just way more difficult. And, you know, we're all procrastinators. So think of the numbers of people who will have done that. It'll be like me trying to get Taylor Swift tickets this week. Like you are numbered $25,000. <laughs> so um, act now is the message that the insurance department is putting out. Um, don't wait on that. Yeah, January 15th is the end of uh, open enrollment, so be sure to check that out. Now, acanavigator.com is a great resource. I've had the New Hampshire Navigator program, uh, New Hampshire's branches run by Jeremy Smith, uh, and he does a great job with advocating for that. So, and nhez.nh.gov if you want to figure out your eligibility for new health insurance uh, through the marketplace. It's Now's the time. The holidays come up on you quick, so you want to think about it now as opposed to next week in the middle right. of the holiday weekend. And uh, there's another one, there's Health Market Connect um, that has, uh, Jeremy's uh, organization has some people located in New Hampshire, and but they have a very large call center. Health Market Connect has um, people on the ground all over the state and they have 
Oh, I got, I gosh, I think it's like seven or eight languages that they can help you in. So that is another, um, another resource too. And they're on the insurance department website. So it looks like there's a forensic hospital on track, but it's going over budget. First of all, what's a forensic hospital? <laughs> well, right now it's called the secure psychiatric unit and it's inside the prison. Uh, and this is the problem. These The population we're talking about here that they want to bring over to the state hospital have either been found you know, incompetent to stand trial because of their mental illness, not guilty by reason of insanity because of their mental illness, or are just considered so dangerous because of their mental illness that they need treatment. So all of those people need a, a sort of mental health treatment, an inpatient mental health treatment. Because there's no other option right now, they're being held at the prison. Um, and everyone from the federal government, civil rights officials, to mental health advocates, to lawmakers sort of understand that that's not the best place for them, that they need to be in a hospital setting. So there's finally some money and some um, willpower to get this through. And in the last couple of budget cycles, there was money put aside, about $38 million to build this. And it will be on the state hospital grounds. Um, the idea is there, if you put it there, you can share clinical staff and kitchen and laundry. So it, it made sense to put it there. It'll look very much like an extension. Um, and the drawings are in my story. They, you know, it has to be secure. It needs a gate, but it's not going to have prison, you know, fencing that has the rolled wire at the top. It'll look more like a courtyard with someone's fence around it that you might see anywhere. It's sort of nice looking. So it is on track um, to begin construction, I think, in spring or summer, but it is over budget um, because of the, you know, inflationary costs. So I think it's about, um, I got mixed numbers on this this week. I think it's about 6 million over, um, but the state, the department is not going to ask for new money to cover that. There's some money within their budget, federal money that was unused. Um, and so they're asking permission Friday from the fiscal committee to sort of shift that around so they can cover that gap. I wouldn't expect that would be a problem there. Um, I think what people mostly want to know is to it's on track, like they really want to move forward on it. Yeah, I'm assuming these individuals are a lot of them are there for an extended amount of time in this this institution. So it's very important. It's done and set and in a permanent location for these for them to either have a stable place where they're some might be there for the rest of their lives in theory, and many of them to have a stable uh, um, treatment for whatever's going on with them. And some, you know, discharge, it does come at all different times for people, depending on their needs and their treatment plan. But sometimes they're held up because there's nowhere for them to go. You know, it's the same problem we see at the state hospital for other patients. They no longer need that level of treatment, but there is nowhere to go that is you know, their own residence or transitional housing, um, somewhere they could get outpatient care. And so they remain there. And so if you are one of these people and you're remaining in the state prison because you have a mental illness, that just didn't seem sustainable anymore in the, in the state's mind. And they got, you know, a real federal push. You need to change this practice. So, right, people are staying there longer than they need to clinically sometimes. And so it'll be a much more, I think, therapeutic setting for those, for people who are there, you know, and people who are ready to leave but can't. 
it, it's a difficult situation. You, we, a lot of mental institution, health institutions shut down back in the 70s and 80s and into the 90s because of poor treatment that was going on with many individuals. And I think funding also eventually ended up being a problem with it because of that, because it didn't look good politically and such. And, and now these individuals were just... They, they had nowhere else to go. So it increases the homeless population, the the drug user population in the state because they have many mental health issues. They have have families over time, which causes the systemic mm-hmm. issues over more and more time. And it, it does it look like maybe we're making little baby steps towards fixing it with something like this? Or is this just like a Band-Aid for the issue that the state the state has on the criminal justice system? Um, I think this is one piece of a really um, big initiative that the state has put in place over the course of the pandemic. Um, they were motivated in part by a Supreme Court, state Supreme Court decision that said you're violating the Constitution by keeping people in the emergency room beyond three days without you know, a chance to challenge that um, just because you have no place for them to go. That's not justification. So we've seen the state pump millions of dollars into expanding mental health treatment um, over the course of the pandemic. And all those pieces are just starting. So they need some time to get going. But we have a mobile crisis um, unit statewide now that will go to your home because not everybody needs to go to the ER, but that is the only choice. Um, There's money going to community mental health centers to expand community treatment to help people so they don't get to an emergency level. Um, So I think all of these pieces that we're seeing will help. The state is putting money into buying Hampstead Hospital, which is currently where children go who are in mental health crisis. So they want to expand that out to be more than just a crisis placement, but also inpatient um, in sort of a, a campus of mental health care that's more preventative rather than just coming in at the last minute. So I think all of these pieces are coming together and they've been started um, thanks in part to pandemic money. Um, but we also know the pandemic increased the need for this kind yeah. of treatment. Um, it's been a weird mixed blessing, I guess. Um, So I think the pieces are there. It's just not going to happen overnight. It's also a workforce shortage. So you can open all these jobs, um, but you have to fill them. And that's a challenge for everybody. Um, But I do think the state has taken a lot of steps um, over the course of the pandemic in sort of the right direction. Yeah, and the opening up of 988 for emergency crisis uh, mm-hmm. phone number is fantastic to see. They're working on the mobile crisis vans across the state. I, there's still a work in progress. I think it's the beginning of the year. Those are really supposed to start roll out, right? I think they're already happening. Um, so you can call anywhere in the state. You, you may not get the closest mobile crisis to you because they may be dispatched to somewhere else. You know, there's not multiples in every part of the state, but I think it's within an hour you will see someone. Um, there's We're also seeing, um, we know that call center, let me back up, that call center is also a place where you can get um, a, you know, a quick telehealth sort of visit assessment 
Um, do you need to see someone tonight? Can we make an appointment for you tomorrow? So that's trying to also keep people out of the ER. I'm working on a story. I just did some reporting today about some couple of police departments who have partnered with their local community mental health center so that the first call when they are called to a scene is to a clinician at the health center and said, can you, can we together right now talk with this person and assess their need? Um, and can you talk to them to make an appointment for tomorrow? So you hand someone a card or a phone number, um, it gets lost or they're in crisis and they can't process, so I need to make this call. So I think that's a really interesting uh, initiative and I'm looking forward to learning more about that. I think Salem is starting to do that. So we'll see, it's you know in addition to that 988 response, they very much say this is not a replacement, it's just another option. Senior reporter Anne-Marie Timmons, the New Hampshire Bulletin, NewHampshireBulletin.com to get more from them. This is New Hampshire Headlines on WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com to get more from us. We'll be right back after this.